1: Hey guys, welcome to Tap Tuesday brought to you by Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly elite products that provide all of the performance attributes that they demand. And that's exactly what Tap delivers. This week I sit down with Joe Fear of Wilderness Pack Specialties. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Joe Fear of Wilderness Pack Specialties. Joe, good evening, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for sitting down.
2: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, man. So why don't we jump into it, man? Let's uh, get a little bit of an intro on yourself, um, and then we'll jump into our uh, our main topic here, which is Wilderness
2: Pack. All right. Yeah. I've been fishing my whole life. Um, I started fishing in about 18 months. Had, my mother fished a lot. My grandparents all fished. Um, so that's a, a big thing for me. And then I got a really late start in hunting. I uh, didn't start hunting until I was almost 18. Then had to take a couple of years off when I was traveling around for college and everything. So I've only had about, about 10 or 12 years of actual seasons under my belt. So um, still a little new to that part. But other than that, you know, hunted Oregon, a little bit of Washington, a little bit of Montana. Um, fished most of the West Coast, Montana, Idaho i um, waiting to get up to Alaska hopefully soon. i uh, got a bear season coming up. I got invited to a bear hunt later this year. So that'll be fun. Um,
1: that's pretty much it. Where are you hunting bears?
0: Uh, Central Oregon.
1: Yep. Yeah. Anything in particular? Cinnamon, blonde? What are you looking for?
2: Nothing particular. it actually be my first bear. So it's uh, some friends of ours that we support that do a, a veteran only uh, guided hunts over there. It's all nonprofit and everything. And they were doing a uh, supporters hunt that they, everybody pitched in for. And I was one that was offered it. So it'd be a lot of fun. I mean, me and I think a couple veterans going out. So you,
1: you had said something in your intro there, man. And, it, and it's, it always strikes me. Right. And yet, you know, hunting is, is something that is typically passed down. Um, you know, we hear the word tradition and, um, but you said, you know, you've been hunting 10 to 12 years, so you're new uh, or relatively new. That That's anything else that you spend 10 or 12 years in. Do you qualify that way? No, <laughs>
0: not normally. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> right. So it's a it's a weird thing. Oh. I mean, it, it says a lot about hunting, in my opinion. Right. I mean, the learning curve. um, can be it can be pretty steep, right to get to that point where right. you know you're you're really affecting it, but yeah, it's just odd to me that we hear that man and you know guys will qualify and said oh you know i'm you I'm new to this you know ten to twelve years in that's uh that's some years on it man it is and the the big thing to me is it you really have to look at how many
2: days per year you're allowed to go out absolutely um, for the first good chunk i I had high school and then college right after that, so I could only take usually the first three or four days um and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got the first week, maybe a week or two after that, but that was it. I mean, yeah, and then that perspective. My daughter, oh, oh, sorry about that.
1: that. No, go ahead. I apologize.
2: Oh, and then I had my first daughter about seven years ago, and that cut into it quite a bit because she was born in July. And then my second daughter was in October. So, she's right in the middle of everything yeah
1: piss poor timing on your part man <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> I, have I
2: have a very understanding
0: wife thankfully <laughs>
1: yeah i think most of us do uh yeah mine were both uh beginning of the year kids so i got lucky in that respect yeah i like to i like to brag about that timing but that was all uh yeah that was just dumb luck <laughs> yeah. um i lost my train of thought i was gonna I was gonna oh that's what okay so back to what we were talking about um So you put in that perspective, right? Yeah. 10 to 12 years, time spent in the field, et cetera. So you could have a guy that's been chasing for 20 years and he's only getting, you know, that one week a year. Um, You might, you know, there's guys that'll pass him in that, you know, seven to 10 year span and go crazy with it. So it's just a really weird, I don't know. It's a really weird thing to me that we qualify, uh, qualify our our pursuit um, in terms of have we been doing it? Uh, Was it passed down from our father or grandfather, things like that? I mean, I, you know, I I started late. Um, I started in my early twenties and uh, yeah, I think after my fifth year, I thought I was, you know, I was, I'm pro boy, (laughs) you know, but yeah, it it is about time spent in the field, man. It, uh, that definitely has a big play on it. So uh, how did your 2018 season go for you?
2: Oh, 2018 was rough. I got a grand total of six days in the field. Yeah. Um, Ever since we started, uh, it seems like at least, doing the whole backpacks and hunting pack, my time in the field for at least archery has really drastically went down. Because beginning of archery through September is our busiest time for backpacks. And we get, I mean, I have phone calls all the time people have given out a I had a satellite phone people are giving the cell phone the number out so you can call me asking questions about packs uh, cuz we're a real small company it's just my folks and I and a couple of friends of ours that work here so we all have to pitch in and sometimes we make sacrifices and last year was mine right that's rough though right
1: i mean you get into a business in you know in this industry in the hunting industry um, or outdoor industry, whatever however you call it, um, because you love everything about it and you get in. And then I don't know if people realize when you get in, like you're going to sacrifice time afield for that pursuit. Um, that scares me.
0: <laughs>
2: it, it, it's rough. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize it. A lot of people think, and I hear it all the time at the sportsman shows, that they they think you hunt the whole archery season right. or the whole rifle season. and no, normally I'll get, usually I I try to get a week, 10 days uh, is usually what I'll try to get. And I get like six, like I said, six days this year.
1: And that's not bad. I mean, realistically, most guys are, are spending one full week, right? They use a vacation week balancing, you know, time off with family and, you know, work commitments and things like that. Um, yep. So, I mean, I would say that that's probably the average guy is probably getting that week and then you know a couple weekends here and there. And that's, yeah. For me, it really just you know twenty. This is my twenty first season, so it really just opened up for me last year when you know my son, my daughter went off to college. She's playing, or she was, she just graduated, but she's playing soccer up, uh, up for her school. And then my boy decided he wasn't going to play football anymore. And I always said, you know, as soon as soon as fall sports are over, it's on. So last year, yeah. you know, 20th season was the first time where it was just like, I'm gone. <laughs> Friday hits and I'm, you know, and then there yeah. was just, you know, just weekend. It was six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks. Every weekend I left, you know, Friday night and come back home Sunday. And then I had, you know, some time in Wyoming, came back, had a couple hunts. So, I mean, life just doesn't uh, doesn't allow it, you know.
2: Right, especially with kids and everything involved. They, uh, oh,
0: they, they don't understand it for now, I mean, especially when they're young.
2: Right.
1: So, um, anything happen in those six days?
2: Actually, I got really lucky the first day. Um, there was one bull I'd been watching for the last two weeks. I'd be going out every, you know, four or five days. I'd sneak out and take a peek at him, and he was in the same spot for about two weeks. I uh, found him first thing opening day. And I was right on top of him, about 400 yards above him in a canyon. And he's down there breaking stuff. And I started sliding down, getting in on him. And then some other hunter comes from the top of the draw at the end of it and starts bugling his head off, just walking straight down the middle of it. And the bull I was watching, he wasn't bugling, but he was he was thrashing trees. He was tearing everything up. Um that hunter just kept walking and bugling, just never stopped. And I got to about 70 yards from that bowl, uh, with no clear pathway to shoot. And he took his cows and just ran around the corner of the, the hill. Never saw him again.
1: Public land, man, public
2: land, that's it. you know?
1: Yeah. And, and that's one of those things where you're like, GD dude, you know, um, but you can't be mad at them, I guess. You know, I, I think we all get a little bit frustrated in those situations. But, yeah. uh, you know, public land hunting.
2: It, yeah, it's all public land. I mean, at the, at the moment, you really want to strangle somebody. But, you know, you got to admit that it, it is everybody's place to be and just kind of chalk it up to either inexperience on their part or uh, over enthusiasm on their part. But So did he even know that the bull was there? He, uh, he, I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, he had to have, uh, for the way he was hunting, there's no reason he would have been going down that steep of terrain bugling. Like he was uh, knowing at least a herd of elk were in
0: there.
1: So he took the, I'm an elk approaching you, um, <laughs> route and, uh, yep. was he using, you know, what was it locates or just, oh. you know, or he's just bugling without oh. any rhyme or reason.
2: Uh, now he threw everything in the kitchen sink and this thing, I mean, <laughs> chuckles and grunts and lip balls, or he tried to do a lip ball. And um, he threw everything. The thing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, no rhyme or reason, just going, going for broke.
2: Yep. That, that I,
1: to me would be more frustrating to hear him going in like that than someone going in with at least half wit. Right. And, making an attempt to sound, you know, understand what he's saying, I guess is the easy way to put it um, as he's approaching that herd.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be, it would have been less frustrating. If it was somebody that was gave a, you know, an actual thought of what he was going on. Um, I mean, I, I have to give him effort. He, he got in there really deep by the time he figured out that elk was gone. <laughs> like he won't make that mistake again. Took him between six and seven hours to climb out. Oh. So,
1: and he probably made it down there in what forty-five minutes to an hour.
2: <laughs> yeah, probably that, because he was trucking going down. He was between a 1, thousand, twelve hundred yards down the bottom of this canyon. What kind of grade? Yeah, steep. I mean, forty-five to sixty between there. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that was, was real steep coming out. Yeah.
1: Well, he'll, I, I would almost guarantee, hopefully he rethinks that approach going in. Cause that, you know, coming out on something 45 to 60% grade six to seven hours, if you're not thinking that whole time, how did I blow it? Then yeah, just, you know, no offense, stay on the roads.
2: Yep. The, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It would have been easier for him just to keep going through the bottom and end up at the highway. It would allow, I mean, take him about, you know, three more miles to get out, but it would have been a downhill the whole way. Right
1: rough man so it is but yeah I mean it goes with the game I guess that's it <laughs> and I, and I mean really this kind of ties into our main discussion here um, but I think that is part of the reason that guys are going deeper and deeper and deeper into the country is to oh, yeah. avoid situations like that yep that's so, it. exactly so that's I mean it's kind of a perfect little parlay in my opinion man I think uh, we hit that one on the head um wilderness packs man um i mean the mission of all and i'm making an assumption um, of all pack companies um and i'm sure wilderness is no different is to lighten that load to get us as deep as we want to go
2: yep between that and then making a heavy load more comfortable there you go that's it there's there's a limit never Needs to understand that the lighter the pack and the frame become, the less stable and less sturdy a heavier load is going to be. So, you have a trade off you have durability and weight, and dirt and weight and uh stability okay with a heavy load.
1: So, let's just take us into it, man. Give us the who, what, when, why, how, all that good stuff about wilderness packs, and then we'll just start chopping it from there.
2: Yeah. Uh, Wilderness Packs has been around since 1995. Um, my family took it over in 2015. Uh, before that, we were actually manufacturing uh, equipment for the military um, with some subcontracted stuff. We were actually making product for Wilderness Packs uh, back in 2012 and 13. Um, and at 2015, he asked us, he wanted to retire, and we offered to take it over. Um, so we did. And it's been going great. Um, like I said, it's a family-owned company. It's me, my parents, my little brother, and then we have a couple of our friends, and then just a few employees. But that's it.
1: So that's are it. you are you still? So you're in a manufacturing for the military. Are are you still doing that, or is it just the packs now?
2: it's it's probably 90 percent packs we do a few things other side stuff like uh we do some military equipment um we did have some people that approached us about we do some tool boards for linesmen electrical linesmen um that's those two things are pretty much it other than hunting packs and in our fishing gear
1: so was that was that something that was a no brainer? Was it just, you know, yeah, let's go for it. Or is that something you you'd kind of delved into and looked at maybe the competition or the industry and said, you know, is this, is this a better market? How did that go down?
2: Well, it was pretty much a no brainer. Uh, the, the old owner of the, the company was good friends with my dad. Uh, my dad used to repair industrial sewing equipment and he was their uh, repair guy and he's known him for 20 something years. So um, and we've all been hunting and fishing and camping most of our lives. So as soon as uh, we were working, actually, to start making a hunting pack line, and right about the same time, he approached us about wanting to take it over. So it kind of just fell together. Wow.
1: Nice. Yeah. Worked out well. So let's talk a little bit about offerings. So I first heard about uh, about Wilderness Packs. Uh, I talked to Kobe Fitzgerald out of Washington. Um, okay. Okay and he uh he runs the caribou. Okay. And man, he had nothing but good to say about the Caribou. And until that point I I really I didn't know about uh, about Wilderness Packs. I mean just being honest. Um and I started looking at it. And I'm going, man, this this looks like a solid pack. The only thing that scared me like with the Caribou is there's I think nine external pockets. And I'm that dude yeah. that if you give me that many pockets, whether or not I need to, uh, they're getting filled. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's a solid pack, right? I mean, you start looking at you guys' frames. I think you have five or six frame offerings. Um, There's pack frames, yeah. yeah. And then uh, what are your pack offerings? I think you go from 1,800 cubic inches all the way up to 5,000 or so.
2: Yeah, the smallest actual framed pack is our uh, the Impala, and it's about – 2,200 cubic inches. It's a great day pack, about 4 pounds. But the frame, the frame by itself is only 15 ounces and it'll support up to 65 pounds. So, it's great for a little day pack. Uh, I use it for just an everyday thing, carrying it all over the place. If you need to go up from there, we've got our compact, which I think they now call it, we call it Cascade. We renamed everything recently so I'm trying to remember all the names. Uh, It's a Cascade. The Bighorn is also known as the Kodiak. The bags on those two are interchangeable. The frame size is just different for your torso length. So If you have a short torso, you can get the smaller frame, the larger torso, the larger frame. Uh, Weight rating on them both the same, rated for 120 pounds. I have seen somebody put up to 200 pounds on the Bighorn frame or the Kodiak frame. Um, It had no problems with it. He carried out a full hind quarter of a moose plus some extra, and uh, he had no problems with it. Yeah,
1: there's so there's other stuff yeah. going on with that dude he's a beast 200 pounds on your back man is uh that's some weight
2: it's it's a bit yeah he's a c six four about two he's a big guy I definitely don't recommend that for most people but if you can do it do it well you guys
1: you all so you have a frame though that is rated to two hundred pounds correct
2: we don't manufacture our frames themselves. We get them through a different company that licensed the frames to us. They come up to 120 pounds because they didn't feel anybody should be carrying much more than 120 pounds. So we've tested them up to 200 and we haven't had a problem, but the actual load rating is 120 pounds.
1: So in today's space with, with pack frames, there's a lot of carbon fiber, um, there's some light aluminum stuff. What, what are you guys making your frames out of and, and why that material? um, When I think, when I think frames, um, I I think at least in my head, right. And I'm, I'm as layman as you're going to get on it. um, The design is important for stiffness and then some amount of flex. Um, So I imagine that, you know, like you said earlier with the, a lot of in my opinion again, the carbon frames, yeah, they're stiff, but there's some that just offer, in my opinion way too much flex man. So what do you guys what are you guys making your frames out of or excuse me what do you what are the frames that you guys uh, license what are those made out of and and what do they offer?
2: the uh the frames are made of what's called a xenoid polymer. It's a polybutyl polycarbonate blend. That is actually woven very similarly to carbon fiber. It's not injection molded. It's not injection anything. It's actually a, a method called pultrusion, where it pulls a strip of plastic out and then it weaves a different layer in an opposite direction. So you have no uniform layering. It cuts down on breakage and cracks in certain spots. So it's UV. It's UV. sense. It's not UV sensitive. So the the sun is will not break it down. Uh, it's also. Uh, heat tolerance. We, we've had them up to 130 degrees and down to negative 60 degrees. So they don't get brittle. Don't get uh, real floppy in the sun. A lot of the old polymer frames, if you got them really warm, they would start to get really soft. Um, and none of these will do that. So the, the best thing about our frames, to my opinion, is the fact that they're vertically, they're very stiff. You can, you know, put 120, to 200 pounds on them vertically and it's not going to do anything, but at the same time, while you're wearing it, you can still bend over with your right arm and bend down to touch your left knee. So you can still twist and rotate, keep full range of body motion without losing any stability of the load. Oh, so, so, okay.
1: That's, and that's how I was seeing them, right? Is vertical rigidity or stiffness and then horizontal yep. flex. Um, yeah. Tor-
2: you want to be able to twist it a little bit with it without it being super soft, but enough to be able to keep full range of motion.
1: So uh, now you have, so I guess the size of the frame, right? You said there was four. Um, so what's, what's that range in, in those sizes? Like, I, I guess, torso or, 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 you know, hunter height.
2: Um, we can fit, we have a gentleman out here running one of our Impala frames who's four foot nine and then uh my best friend that me is 6'10". So he runs a horn frame. We had to do a little bit of adjustment to stretch out the harnesses on that but it still fits. So, so we can customize them to fit any just about any torso size. Right, so that
1: really goes into the suspension system when we start looking at really stretching that out. I mean that's at least in my head it's a lot less about the frame at that point and more about that uh that suspension system.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the, yeah, the the frame itself is a set size, uh, but the the suspension will adjust. So as long as the frame is big enough to fit over your torso length, because you have to have the frame sit above your shoulders or the load lifters won't do a good job. So if, if your frame is actually below your shoulders, lifters won't lift the shoulder pads off of your shoulders and you'll get a lot of pressure on the top of your shoulder. Blades.
1: And that's one of the things that you see a lot of times. I mean, if you're, you know, if you geek out on that stuff, but if you look at, you know, if, if you look at social media and you look at a guy's low lifters, his straps are either on his shoulders or flat going above that shoulder, right? It should be around a 45 degree angle, right? From the, um, from the strap going back to the pack. On those load
2: lifters. I use, in my opinion, it shouldn't be any more than a 45 because you can get lower than that and still have a, a good amount of lift off of the shoulders. You just don't want it riding at a, at a yeah.
1: flat angle to them then.
2: Right. Exactly. Cause even if it's only 25 degrees, you're still having that lift off, off of your shoulders. So it's actually lifting, physically lifting the shoulder pad off of your shoulders. So if you can get away with having a little taller, that's great. Um, within reason, I mean, a lot of guys hunt the coast, so they don't want anything. 45 degrees for most people is a bit too much for hunting the coast over here. They're going to get snagged up pretty bad. So.
1: so how does that, how does the shoulder straps and how does that play into your your belt or your your hip straps? How does that load transfer? Um, and weight transfer work between the two?
2: What happens usually is you get your belt nice and tight, get your harnesses set up, because you want to work from your belt to your waist straps, then your chest strap, and then you'll pull your load lifters down. And as soon as you pull the load lifters on our frame, it'll actually bend the frame as close to the center of your spine as possible. Um, The farther away the center of your load is from the center of your spine the more leverage it has to actually pull you backwards. So it feels heavy regardless of how, how heavy it really is. It'll feel like it's more weight. So So the closer you can get low to the center of your back, it's going to feel a little lighter and settle better down on your hips.
1: And that's a big deal, man. I, and I'm not going to say the brand, but I had a pack a few years ago and, uh, I, I would have rather had a, a uh, high school backpack um man you put a, anything on i i think we were going in we were going in and we were 60 pounds um and that thing had the the my lower back was uh it was it was the worst i i used it that one time and i was like i'm done with this thing um and that and now that you say that it was it was constantly sitting back on me and i would pull my my load lifters and it just it never seemed to it never seemed to get them up to get that pack yep. up to where it was just like that perfect balance between my shoulders and my hip.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just, and as close to you. A lot of people think they want a big air gap there between your bag and the back of you. You don't need more than about a half an inch or about a half an inch. You just need enough air to flow through there. So you don't get hot spots and stuff that load as tight as you can to the back of your, your body.
1: That would, that seems to be a plus with your frame design versus a lot of other packs. Um, having that external type rigid, and I'm losing, I may be using that wrong, right? Um, frame on there versus something that's kind of internal. Um And that's one of the things with, with, that I like about the pack that I run is there's a gap actually in between myself the frame, and then a slight one between the bag and the frame itself, just due to the contour of that frame. Okay. But yours seems that just seems like a better design. And there's a couple of them that you have that are actually kind of contoured from the shoulders down to the small of the back.
2: Yeah, they're they're all curved, kind of anatomically to fit that curve of your back.
1: Hence, helping the air airflow and keeping that. Uh, you get those you know, like I said, the smaller i don't even know what to call them man, these smaller frames, and they just soon to me as soon as you cinch a lot of them, they're just right up against you, and it's eliminating some of that airflow causing those hot
2: spots, yeah, it does happen especially on the narrower frames because you're really sucking it into you, and if, if with our frames it tend to be just a little wider, but they allow for uh, air to really flow between you and the frame. I'm not too worried about air going between the bag and the frame. It's more like wicking moisture off of the back. Um, on top of that, we use a lot of what's called airflow mesh between you and the shoulder pads on the back and your waist belt. That's all airflow mesh that actually allows your body to breathe around the mesh. You don't get hot spots more or less anywhere. So you
1: just said something and it, it's kind of peeling us off of what we were on, but talking about that frame being a little bit wider when you said that i was like oh boom right and that's one of the things so i'm gonna say that mine i really like my pack i I mean i i put this thing through some hell and i love it but that is one of the things that i noticed that when i cinch it down that frame is sitting in between i'm gonna say it's maybe two to three inches on either side maybe a little more than that of my scapula right from my spine going out so, how does that? How does that wider frame outside of that airflow? How does that help carry that load? Um, it it seems just. I mean, just hearing it right now, it seems like it would make a difference to me.
2: The, the wider frames make a large difference because if you think about it, everything is pivot off those narrow frames. Everything is pivoting off of that center point, so you have more of a chance of the load rocking around. Whereas, in on our, our larger frames. The the big horn is six about sixteen inches across, so you have a, the ability to really strap it down side to side, it, so there is no rolling of that load. A um, little bit wider, it's not wider than I'd say ninety percent of people's actual shoulders, so it doesn't stick out. It just looks like it will. It gives you a lot more surface area to tie everything down to to really secure the load, so it's not moving on you.
1: So field test. <laughs> And I'm just trying to equate all this to to experience. I keep I go bone in, right? Because the bone adds sure. some rigidity. Um, and then you're talking about a narrower frame, but that seems like it would lend itself to peeling some weight out and boning that boning that animal out. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy is that load is is shifting like crazy when I'm when I'm bone out. So I'm like, I'll I'll just deal with with the weight of the bone. Um but you start talking to you know a 200 plus pound animal you start talking about an elk man that's you know that's night and day difference when you're uh when you're getting shedding that bone weight yeah yeah there's a good bit of bone in
2: them um yeah i, I when we do it with all bone out I would prefer not to carry the extra weights um but it, like you said having a larger frame using the the boned out meat bags that we have that are just a, a skinny tubular type bag really helps it from, you know, if you use a normal game bag and you bone out meat, it turns into a giant ball at the bottom. Back out. These keep it kind of a tube, taller, skinnier, and you can really strap those down. And the the game bag will hold it in place, but then our meat shelf on top of that will really hold it to the center of the frame. Gives it a lot of places to t- attach to and really support the load. Right,
1: and then back to it, that wider frame. You're more likely to get more meat in there, right? If if you're looking for that, you know, you need that stability. Um, that narrow frame. Man, this is like I am sorry, it's just clicking as as we're going here. Um, I could totally see the benefit of it. But we look at, you know, we look at frames, and then one of my bullets for you was there's a lot of noise in the market, right? So everything is lighter, um, smaller, more compact, uh, you know, down to ounces, et cetera, et cetera. But that makes complete sense you start talking about packing out with one of those. I'm the, the pack I run now again, I love it, but I can't pull, I'm not going to pull the bone out on, on something that's heavy. It's just going to, it's, it'll be miserable unless I'm strapping it down, you know, with extra straps and whatnot.
2: Yeah. And at that point you're adding more weight.
1: That's interesting.
0: Man. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a big kick in the industry right now to make everything lighter. Um, which is great and all in theory. But you do lose a lot of structure and support when you go down two lights. Um, we're working on a lightweight uh, line of packs right now. We've been testing out a bunch of different, different materials. The problem is, is with our, our warranty, we have a lifetime warranty on manufactured issues. So when you go too light of a fabric, it doesn't hold up. And we need to balance that weight with uh, our warranty and how many bags are we willing to have somebody blow the bottom out or, you know, tear a seam because they went with a lightweight bag and then they put 180 pounds of meat into the, inside the bag. Um, that's that's the tricky part right there.
1: So uh, what do you guys currently use and what, uh, what's your material of, of choice on the packs or does that vary?
2: Uh, it varies a bit. Right now, most of our packs are made out of about 500 dinners. Um, we do have one that is a silent suede for true timber with a special a waterproof backing that we have, we have uh, sealed onto it. Um, that's right there covers 99% of the materials that we use for backpacks.
1: So that, that Kodura, right. I mean, that is yep. tried and true. <laughs>
0: yep.
2: Absolutely.
1: Been around for ever and I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Um, is that now with that 500, is that a rip stop or?
2: It's not technically a rip stop, but it does. It is woven in a way that it will, it will not just keep tearing. It's not like if you tear canvas canvas, will tear in a straight line all the way across. It's they're woven in such thick lines that it will stop a tear. And to get a tear going in the beginning is, is pretty tough.
1: I'm sure somebody would be willing to test it.
2: (laughs) We uh, we, we had, that carried a stretcher for the Marines. Uh, I don't know, ten or twelve years ago, and we gave them our first prototype and told them that they could try to destroy it any way they wanted to without shooting it or cutting it apart. And we got it back. The only thing they did was tear one piece of
0: Velcro off. But
2: of that says so, a lot. Man.
1: So how does that? How does that Cordura? Um, how does that align with the rest of the industry?
2: Uh, it's a little hard. I mean, there are a few other companies that do use a Cordura. A lot of uh, the companies are trying to go for either a softer, quieter material. Uh, but when you go to a softer, quieter material, they're not as durable. You're going to start to wear holes in it because the weave has to be looser to have that softer material. Um, with the Cordura, it's tight. You can. It's super abrasion resistant. It's high tear strength. I mean, I had a guy shoot a hole through one on accident and still use it for two years before he got it fixed. Wow. So,
1: he, so. he using it as a rest?
0: Didn't,
2: didn't yeah, clear that, that is, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good story. Two of our bags have a notch at the top. To, for the arcs, two of our frames have a notch at the top to use as a rifle rest. And he is sighted down on an elk, and his buddies to his left on the scope. And his buddy stretched his leg out and accidentally kicked the bag right when he was about to fire it and knocked the bag forward and he shot through the top of the bag. Yeah. Needless to say, he missed the elk and he was pretty upset.
0: <laughs>
1: you gotta love your spotter. <laughs> so um man, we, we kinda nailed a bunch there. What other, uh, what other standouts, I guess, um, with that frame design, we'll jump back on that.
2: Um, the, the frame, there is a video around somewhere when the military is testing it, where they drove over the frame with an Abrams tank and it folded it up and then just shot out the back and it sprang back to life. I'm trying to find it. I've seen it once on someone's phone. I would like to get it as a promo. The, the frames are almost indestructible. The frames themselves have a lifetime work. If you can break one, I'll give you a new frame. In the last five years, we've replaced, I think, three frames. That's a good Usually, record. one guy shot a hole through it. Uh, the other guy was carrying a full bear out, fell, and a rock just happened to catch one of the loops, that the, the molly loops, and punched a hole through it. Structurally, it didn't matter, but he just wanted to be safe, so we hooked up the new frame. Uh, The other one, I'm not entirely sure what it was. I wasn't there for that one. They're they're very tough. They're they're very strong, and they don't degrade, so that's the best thing. You're out in the sun a lot. A lot of those polymer-type plastic frames back in the day would uh, slowly get brittle the more you were out in the sun with them. So these have none of that problem.
1: So and then with the uh you guys are 100% 100% uh American made. So let's get into that man cuz that's pretty important. Um I don't and we, and I said that to you earlier. I don't think that that is something that is done enough um to dig your dig your heels in on that as cheap as as it is to um outsource overseas and whatnot. So why is that important to you guys? And, uh, and I want to talk about the Barry compliance or the Barry rating a little bit.
2: Um, I find it really important because it's better to keep some of those jobs here. Um, not just ours, but every time we buy us made material or product, we're supporting all those other us companies that are keeping all those jobs here. And, um, We try as best as we can to keep all of our materials in the U.S. There have been a few specialty style buckles that nobody makes them, and we have had to outsource them. That does happen on occasion. We've tried to redesign a few things to get around it, but on occasion we do have to use some outsourced buckles. It does not happen very often, but it is what it is. Um, There's also a huge quality difference between outsourced materials and nylons and stuff made in the US Um, people want to act like the difference is um, exorbitantly expensive but you're really maybe talking a few dollars a yard between the two materials so it's really not that bad Um, just to to say that you're made here with US made materials supporting US made companies so
1: in that and that's one of the things, I mean, just as a consumer, that's one of the things you hear, right? Is It's expensive to do stuff here. And I imagine that, I don't know, um, that if you get into some, you know, other area, maybe it is. But to, when you start thinking about, you know, the thread that's used and the nylon or the, the excuse me, the Cordura, um, to be able to get all that stuff produced here. And you guys' packs are priced Meant beyond reasonably in, in the current space.
2: Yeah. And a lot of that is because we are a smaller family owned company and we, we don't have any dedicated office people. We're all out there sewing. So we're keeping it smaller and tighter. And we're able to eat some of that a little bit to help produce a high end product for reasonable cost. Uh, labor cost is going to be your most expensive part of producing any product here in the United States. I mean, the comparative to here to overseas, you're probably paying them a quarter of what you would somebody here per hour. So there's, there's a big difference. I mean, materials are one thing, but your labor costs are gonna be your big hitter right there. So if, if you can make a material and you are making it here in the United States, there's really no reason not to use US-made materials.
1: So let's talk about the, uh, the Berry rating and, and Berry compliance and what that, uh, what that means. Yeah.
2: The, the Berry rating is a, more of a military or DOD rating where it says this product is made in the United States with as many U S made materials as possible. And the only exceptions are if those specific materials are not available or not sourced in the United States, and you can get them through um, a certain list of countries. Everybody knows, uh, most people, at least in the military, know what a Cobra buckle is. It's an aluminum buckle, and they're more or less made in Austria. It's Austria Alpine is the company who started making them. And they're the biggest manufacturer, but nobody in the United States makes them. So you have to get them overseas. Their bag, buckle we use a lot in the military bags. And it's allowed because they're the only ones that make it.
1: So to get into the berry rating a little bit with that, there was an amendment to the Barry rating that allowed, because of the shortage and the specialty manufacturing, um, DOD allowed that outsourcing, right? So that still keeps you yeah. 100% Barry rating compliant. Um, yeah. I'm curious to to look at it now, right after, after research and what all that meant, to see how many companies are actually 100%, man.
2: Um, most companies that don't use, that aren't very compliant are probably done because of the the fabric itself. The difference between the hardware is, is nothing. You're talking 10 cents to 15 cents, a uh, piece per piece of hardware. So if, if at that point you might as well just use the US stuff because you're going to save most of that on shipping anyway. Um, A lot of companies that are not buried, like I said, would be because they're choosing to use a lower cost material or they're using a specialty material that could be made here in the United States, but nobody's currently producing it. And they're having to get it from overseas. And you have to make sure that you're ordering it from a company that is on the list of available people that very compliant list. There are some companies that you can't order from or some countries you cannot order from.
1: But then there's companies that are, you know, manufacturing that aren't worried about a berry rating or hundred percent us manufactured, you know, made and manufactured as well too. So that just wipes them, you know, wipes them right off. So.
2: Yeah. Most, I would say most people don't really understand what a berry compliant or berry rating is. So when most people talk about it or they like claim it, it just goes right over most people's heads. So that's why we just label ours, you know, 100% US made. I mean, it's plain and simple. Everybody knows what that means. You don't have to worry about explaining it a dozen times every show season.
1: <laughs> but, it, but it says a lot, in my opinion, about what you guys are doing, right? To, yeah. like I said before, dig your heels in the sand um, and say this is where we're at, and you know, not just saying we're you know U.S. made, but we're we're hitting this rating. Um, that's a big deal, yeah. man. Good yeah, one you got
2: and that one. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's it's a little funny. I actually had a a guy private message me on social media yesterday from China. He was a bag manufacturer in China. I wanted us to get a hold of him, and uh, I had to politely let him know that we're staying here and. We have no, uh, no plans to ever move overseas. So it's kind of funny that you'll get those every once in a while and try to be, you know, you'd be polite, of course, but firm enough to know that if, if you're not direct, they, they'll hand you for a while. But.
1: Understandably so, right? I mean, business is business, but yeah, like That's I said, it. good on you guys for for sticking to that, man.
0: Yeah, thank you. So...
1: That's um. It backpacks boots i mean just about everything in the hunting marketplace man is at least from the consumer stance is very very subjective um you know this works that works and and guys will hold fast to that that subjectivity um you know with with their opinions on things but in the manufacturing process, I got—I have to imagine that it has to be on the opposite end of that spectrum and, and be objective. So how do you balance uh, an opinionated marketplace with phenomenal marketing and being objective in manufacturing a pack um, that just works for everything you can make it work for, right? Again, it goes to that subjective part of it. Um, but how do you go through that process when you're coming up with a pack and and really say, okay, this is gonna work for what is it, 80% of the people, or this is gonna work for 90% of the people? How do you deal with that?
2: A lot of that we get a lot of feedback from a lot of our customers. You know, most of them love the pack. Every once in a while, some people say, Hey, I wish you had, you know, less pockets or more pockets or a floating lid or a shelf. And we actually every time we get one, we've got a notepad at the shop. We write it down. And Every time we start getting a list together and we're working on new packs, we'll try to incorporate a lot of those ideas in them, um, try to fit whatever niche this pack is going for. Like our new Ibex that we just came out. We just released the first of this month. It has two pockets on the outside, not including the lid. A ton of guys say, you know, too many pockets, too many places to lose stuff. They'll just fill up. (laughs) I'm the same way. Um and hunting the coast, you get too many pockets, they, they kind of start to bulge out and they get hung up on stuff. So it's easier to keep everything inside. So that's where we went with that bag. You're able to keep everything inside. It's got two long pockets for either spotting scope, tripod, walking sticks, anything attached, anything that's long and skinny that you want to keep on the outside of the bag. Um you can go with something like that. It it from there, we we have a set standard of sewing practices that we use that we kept from the military. The military has certain standards of how many stitches per inch that you're allowed to have um, and other ratings, how big of a seam has to be and everything things like that. So our opinion was if it was good enough for the military strength-wise, it was good enough for us. And if there wasn't, we just made it better. So anything we can improve on, we did. So we just kept along those kind of practices, kept it in those
1: parameters, and that's all. That's falling in line, yeah. Because that, like I was saying, man, that the the subjective views on packs and whatnot—you know, one pack will work for a guy; um, it may not work for another. I, that just seems like a difficult, a, a difficult area to meander through um, in today's you know space again.
2: It is, yes. I mean, we're trying to to diversify as many different groups of packs. that We have any 2,200 up to 7,000 cubic inches. Um, Some guys like pockets, some don't. So we're working on, aside from the packs we have, diversifying to make either a little lighter weight packs and then streamlined packs like the Ibex, the Yukon, which is now called the, the Caribou has a ton of pockets on the outside. Same size as the IBEX uh, when it's expanded. um, Gives you both marketplaces there. You get a lot of pockets on the outside or no pockets on the outside. The IBEX is also modular where you can attach pockets to it and customize it however you want to. So if you like that pack and you want to be able to put pockets on it, you can put as many as you can fit on there, which would be a lot.
1: Yeah, I was looking at that pack and uh, I saw that. I was like, man, what, I, I guess to each his own, right? Somebody's going to figure out how to, uh, how to strap something to just about every one of those mollies that's there. That's it. Roll with it. <laughs> so, you, you started talking about uh, pack size. So, let's talk about pack size and is, if there's a general rule of thumb um, size wise, say, you know, a thousand cubic inches per day, or, you know, how do you, how do you guys look at that? How does that play into the size of the pack and, and their use of field?
2: um yeah let's see my perfect day pack in my opinion is about 22 between 2200 and 3000 cubic inches depending if you're doing an early arch on or a late season on um, the problem is, is you're going to want something to be able to put your bet, your coat in if you're getting sweaty and a lot of times those have a lot of space uh, for a day hunt you're going to start out from there for most people If you're going to be doing either day, weekend hunt, maybe stretch it to four days, anywhere like a 3,500 to 4,500 pack is going to be good to do everything you can. You get the pack for a day hunt, you can strap it down, tighten all the compression straps, really hug to your body, and just hunt and use whatever you need. From there, I try to add about 1,000 cubic inches after four days, about 1,000 cubic inches per day that's usually a little excessive but it helps people stay into an area 7,000 I've done was a 12-day hunt out of a 7,500 cubic inch bag with an additional thousand cubic inch uh, exterior pack on it so it all depends on how much your gear how volume this your gear is the size of your stuff how much food you plan on bringing plus water and there's really no cut and dry rules just a few guidelines i mean and to
1: me it would seem like the food would be the biggest difference in in, i mean less a day hunt right a day hunt i mean very few guys are i watch i see very few that's an assumption i'm making for me i carry you know a lighter like i'll carry my down bag and a shell like a bivy shelter or something i just always keep that in my pack um because you Mm -hmm. never know right right but you start getting up into, you know, the 5,000 to 7,000 plus range. I mean, to me, at least that, that really amounts to how much food you're going to be packing in with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, once you're, once you're planning on staying more than two or three days, your gear is the same for two or three days or 10 days. Other than your expendables, your food, your fuel source, um, maybe extra batteries if you really need them. A little extra thing maybe. Yeah, and if you want to bring a couple extra pairs of underwear and socks, it'll pass, changed, more or less.
1: I change my socks, man. I always bring extra underwear, and they don't seem, sounds gross, but they don't seem to get changed as often as one would think.
2: <laughs> I, I know how that is. So yeah, I'm using the creek to take a quick bath for yeah. a few minutes every exactly. couple days.
1: Yep, I wash myself, I wash my drawers. <laughs> That's
2: it. Yeah, but you're right. Socks are, socks are important. You know, I've got, uh, hunt, hunting, the coast. I've had, you know, trench foot a time or two, not paying attention to changing my socks and they boots, you know, fell in a Creek once and left them on and got soaking wet, came out and had a bunch of skin sloughing off and they're pretty gross. So I'm pretty stickler on dry socks now. Yeah, that's, uh, to me.
1: And well, you know, what's funny with, with socks is, you know, we'll go out and we'll spend, you know, call it 350 to you know there's some boots now that are running you know upwards of 600 bucks man and yeah. guys will go out and and get you know a three pack of of some wool or some wool sin socks and you know for 19 bucks for a three or four pack and think that that's good enough and and go out there and try and beat a bunch of miles and wonder you know why their boots are crap um to me i lend it to the socks before i lend it to the boots if, if you don't have a good sock I mean, it's like not having enough enough food in your pack for a multi day
2: for a multi day hunt. Man. Yeah. yeah, there's there's nothing that'll kill your hunt faster than a blisters the or worst. foot problems. Yeah, that oh. is the worst. That's uh, definitely not fun.
1: What? Uh, uh, just out of curiosity, what what kind of socks are you running now after your trench foot?
2: Oh, I have a. I was running some first lights. For a while the Merino blend and I'm trying this different brand that I just found. They're uh, uh they my buddy got them got beyond them. They're pretty they're a little pricey, but they're a merino wool a merino synthetic blend. And they seem to dry really fast. So hoping maybe I can maybe cut down and just take, you know, a pair or two less so I can let them dry out in the tent while I'm out hunting and we'll see. But they're about thirty-five bucks a pair, so might just go with them.
1: That's about what I spend on mine. What uh what brand?
2: Honestly, I, I don't know off the top of my head. He just gave them to me. We were out camping last time and I'll have to go find them.
1: Yeah, see I run I I've been running the smart wool socks for the last couple of years. And they're yeah. and that's about that's about their price point. And they have and it sounds stupid, right? But they have hunt specific socks. You know, you got a, a, a seamless toe. Yep. And then they put some of that, you know, more elastic synthetic material over the top of your foot and then kind of around the heel to kind of help lock that heel. So you don't start getting that hot spot on the backside of the heel and then right up under the tongue as you're coming up from the top of your foot to, uh, to your ankle there. And I, yeah, everybody goes, you spend what on socks? And I'm like, look, I, you, you got, I don't care if you have a hundred dollar boots on, but if you're going to spend, like I said, $400 on boots, then, then why not the things that are lining them that are you know connecting your feet um to those boots why not look at spending a few bucks on those right I mean it just to me it just makes sense man I don't know yeah it's
2: it's probably the most overlooked thing that I've seen in the hunting industry aside from people just using a like a you know school backpack to go hunting with um it's probably. <laughs> So gotta have
1: I gotta have problem. my good socks, man. Again, I take extra socks and I'll flip them out every day, hang them on the outside of the pack, let them air out and dry. And then the nice thing about the wool is you know they're not getting all funky. Yeah.
2: yeah. That is the best thing about wool. We said and mixed with the synthetics, they drive after now.
1: Um so we we talked about the packs. Let's talk about the the frames, the frame. I guess the frame offerings and the pack offerings, um, maybe individually, and then how you guys have them stacked. You have some combinations of those on on the site there. Yep. Is there any rhyme or reason, et cetera? So why don't we get uh, get those offerings locked down?
2: Well, to start, you can either buy the frame by itself we do offer the pack by itself or we sell them together as a combo for a little bit of unit discount when you buy them together. Um, we do sell quite a few frames by themselves. A lot of guys don't want to carry a pack while they're hunting. They just want like a big meat hauler. So it saves them from having to buy the whole system. Um, and then later if you want to buy the pack, you have the frame, you can buy the pack separately and just throw the set together, um, and go that way. Um, Starting at our smallest one, let me see. So I think it's called the Impala now, which we re all the, the names. So I'm still trying to learn them. Yeah, the Impala is our lightweight day pack, about four pounds, 2,200 cubic inches. Wow. Great little pack for just, you know, running around the hills, doing a quick afternoon or day hunt. It's enough to carry some food, a small sleep system, even a small spotting scope and tripod. Um, enough to keep you overnight if you needed to. Um, that frame will hold about 65 pounds. I've had 80 on it. It was pretty good. got a little rough because it's a little soft on the top for heavy, heavy loads, but it, it'll manage. Um, from there, you've got the Bighorn, which is our most popular pack at 3,000 cubic inches. It, it works for a very a very good day pack or three to five days if you can pack or right and have small enough gear. Um the same type of and scope, tripod pockets on the outside, lid pockets, uh, hydration ready, um, PVC liner, or uh, excuse me, pack cloth liner inside of it. Um, all of our packs will carry a rifle or a bow. The care of the Bighorn actually has a pack that will, f- pack will fold down, so you can slide the buttstock of a rifle into it or your cam and limb into of a bow and just strap it to it. So when you're packing out or packing in early season. Uh, you have your hands-free. So probably one of our best-selling features uh, is the hands-free deal, and you can carry your rifle or bow and have it not wedged in between the frame and the bag. Um, Let's see, Yeah, like I said, the newest bag is the Ibex, which is um, fully modular. It has a a zipper down the middle so you can access the entire bag without unloading it from the top. Um, makes it a lot easier if you have to get your sleep system out. It's on the bottom and you don't want to dump everything. Same tripods, body scopes, pockets on the sides. Um, that bag starts at 3,200 cubic inches. It has an expandable rain fly on top that'll let it go up to 5,000 cubic inches. And the lid floats. So the lid will actually elevate up to accommodate your load. And you strap it down on top, keep everything positioned. Keep everything stable. That's, I think, is going to be one of our best sellers this year, just because of the versatility of it, uh, with that and the modularity of all the pockets that are available.
1: I'm looking at them as you're going through them here, and the the price point. I mean, that's for most guys, man. I gotta imagine that that is in everyone's wheelhouse. There, I mean, there's some packs that are that don't offer this in load bearing and in capacity that are two times the amount.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're I mean, it's hard. We do try to keep them reasonable. It does. I mean, they are slowly creeping up every year. Materials become more expensive. The cost of labor every year goes up. We're going to be hitting $15 minimum wage in Oregon probably next year. Um like mini and California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is that you say you're in California? I
1: said you're like mini California. It's getting like that.
2: It's bad because we're not in Portland. We're just outside of Portland, but we're still considered part of the metro area. And so we're roped into that Portland minimum wage. And I don't feel right about if the minimum wage goes up. It would make sense that other pe- everybody's minimum wage should go up. It's hard for most companies to do that because when that goes up, you don't want to be putting people closer and closer to minimum wage. So it does, it does have a tendency to increase prices on your product you your bottom line after a while.
1: <laughs> I mean, but, even, uh, with that, even with that increase, man, I mean, looking at the Bighorn and the price point, like I said, on the Bighorn, I mean, I don't know what kind of increase that would mean, but that's still that's still coming in pretty freaking reasonable.
2: Uh, you're not even talking a five percent increase. Yes. Not even. Yeah. that. And covering material costs and everything increase every year. You're five five to seven percent is what we try to, to look at. So it's it's I think it's pretty reasonable.
1: Heck yeah. I'm looking at uh packs for my boy right now. Um and I'm making him buy a couple things, right? He has to have he has to be vested in this. He he wanted to chase elk with me. So I said, okay. All right, you know, I'll get this, that, and this, but you're buying your pack and uh some some camos, man. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, price point wise, this this is this dude's wheelhouse.
2: Yeah. And, and and we try. I mean, a lot of people, when you're looking at the seven, eight, $900 range, that's pretty hard for people to, to swallow. I mean, you're looking at a new rifle at that point.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, for me, you know, my pack, when I bought my pack, I'm going to say I was around 500 bucks. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, it's, it's a good pack. I can get out there, you know, I'm going to say five days for the size you know, with some external lashing, but it was a reasonable price. But looking at, you know, like I said, looking at what I'm looking at now, it's like, you know, damn it. I could have had a lot more capacity for, you know, less money.
2: Yep. Yeah. And that's, uh, we're trying to get the word out. We've been around for a while, but, um, we, for a while, we were trying to keep it localized to to grow slowly. The worst thing you do is grow too fast um people start getting frustrated with you can't keep up with orders so and on top of the hunting stuff we have a full fishing line that we we do at the same time so which is considerably larger than our hunting side but
1: let's uh let's touch on that a little bit then man let's sure, yeah. what what do you got there in the uh in the fishing world
2: oh we do a, we have a full line of uh soft kill bags of coolers you pair from we have a small trout one that's about 12 by 24, if I remember correctly. Flat one 15 by 48, then 20, 45s, 30, 50, 30, 60s. But well, that's all the height and the width of them. Um, our our handle design is such that it actually weaves around the bottom of the bag. So the all the weight that you're lifting is actually supported by the webbing and not the vinyl itself. So we had a friend of ours get in to demonstrate the straps. He's 320 pounds. We had four of us lift him up and carry him around the Sportsman Show last year. Oh,
1: dang. uh, So I'm looking at him with the tuna bag or the offshore bag?
2: He was in the tuna bag. It was the 3060 tuna bag. So All the the, the handles are the same, so they wrap around and will support. Basically, if you can fit it in the bag, that bag will support the load. Um, You might end up having to get a a dock crane or something to carry it off your boat, (laughs) but we'll do it.
0: And quite a
1: few of them here so you got the trout bag so what's the oh, the bottom fish bag. So you're talking halibut rock
0: fish
2: um, that one's usually for like uh, sea bass okay. cabazon link stuff like this So 30 by 30 um that one we sell more for uh guys that want to carry extra ice because it's a nice square bag it stands up on its own you can fill the whole thing with ice and just leave it unzipped and you as you're catching fish, throw them into the kill bag, take ice out of there and just keep layering ice and fish all day.
1: That offshore bag, that thing is, let's see, that's pretty big too. What, so what's the size? That one's a 30 by too, right?
2: Yeah, the two, yeah, the offshore is 30, 50. And then the tuna is 30 by 60.
1: That's a big bag, man.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those two we sell mostly to commercial guys. Um, or save you got a boat, you go tuna fishing a lot, you're going to get one, but mostly it's uh, commercial salmon guys or commercial offshore guys.
1: So the bags are insulated and then they have, it looks like all of them have some kind of drain tube on the bottom, just to drain the water from the ice and whatnot.
2: huh? Yep. They all have a drain. It's a three quarter inch PVC plug. So it's a heavy duty drain. It's threaded. It's not like the, some of the other companies that just use a... Uh, like the cheap push in plug that oh. break if they break your so well these are completely replaceable, so if anything happens, you drop a you know hit something heavy on it and it breaks. just let us know we you send you a new drain and it's just a bulkhead fitting, so the nut unthreads push it through, tighten it back together, and you're good to go, you
1: go. then you guys got a leaderboard bag uh, a lure plug bag, a steelhead plug bag. I didn't even notice this stuff kind of going through earlier. I didn't even go to the fishing. I'm kind of biased, so.
0: (laughs)
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a, most people notice that because for a while we had two different logos, one for hunting and one for fishing. And our fishing stuff all said WPS on it. And the hunting all said Wilderness Pack Specialties. And people never put the two together. So we're trying to, we got the new logo up and it's getting around, so. Hopefully we'll consolidate the two and it'll be a little easier. The, the two, all those lure bags, and leaderboard bags, they really kicked off last year. Um, working with a friend of mine here, he's a local guide. Um, went to one of the seminars two years ago. And basically he took out a tough container full of plugs. And he had to sit there for a minute or two trying to untangle them. And I'm thinking there's got to be a better way to do it. And just went home. Within two days, I had the first uh, mock-up of it done and been tweaking it ever since then, adding and subtracting a few things, and now most of them are good to go. Uh, Got a few more coming, but this covers 90% of what you're looking for.
1: So then you guys, you also have a scroll in here, man. uh, I apologize. But you guys have your accessory area on here. So you got bag pouches, your belt pouch water bottle pouch, GPS, FRS pouch, and then the quick attach strap. Why don't you explain that one to me a bit?
2: The quick attach straps allow you to, on the backpack itself, there's a piece of, there's a doubled up piece of webbing that acts as a belt that you can put anything on it with a two inch belt loop, whether it's a holster, bag pouches, um, belt pouches or anything. And the quick attach strap allows you to turn your frame it allows you to attach an extra piece of webbing there so you can still carry all those accessories on the belt in the frame itself without the backpack.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Now I see it. And then what about the external pouches? What, uh, what are the size offerings in that?
2: Um, let's see, they don't have all on here. There's a five by seven. Cause the, we've got belt pouches. So they're five by seven, uh, four by nine, seven by 13. Are the three sizes for the accessory pouches? The belt pouches are five by seven, four by six, and five by nine, I believe. The ones for the belt Loop. And we do offer custom orders on those. A lot of guys have a certain, say, rangefinder, or uh, some guys carry. I've had them carry dry boxes that are a certain size, and they need to fit it. Just call me up, let me know. We can make you a certain. Size pouch that work.
1: So, what about so, and I can see it, but for but for the uh, folks listening, um, guys are particular about color and you know matching this, matching that. What uh, what are the offerings as far as camel patterns and or colors?
2: Uh, uh, right now, we're offering uh, desert tan, coyote brown, multicam, true timber. And Wolf Gray are the main colors we're doing. Um, We are working right now with ASAP. We just got off the phone with them a couple days ago, and we got to go ahead and start actually printing their pattern um, to use on our packs. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting for us.
1: So Multicam multicam and uh, ASAP, man, those are kind of tried and true patterns there. You can't really go wrong with them.
2: And uh, the ASAP will actually be printed here locally in Oregon.
1: Nice. So, so the one thing that we didn't talk about is is hydration. Um, do you guys does it does the pack support a hydration bladder? Um, where is that at? So one of the things that drives me crazy, and I'm sorry if uh, I'm sorry if your packs are this way, <clears throat> but the need to if my pack is loaded right if I'm out on multi day. And I'm loaded down. I go through my water. Most times I have to pull six, seven things out of my pack in order to kind of, you know, get to my hydration bladder um, and then get it in there. Are you guys, how are yours set up? And well, first of all, are you set up for hydration pack?
2: We are all of our packs will carry hydration bladder. Um, They all have at least two different spots for hydration. So, all of the frames by themselves have our meat carrier on it and the meat carrier itself has a hydration bladder pocket on it. So you can carry it in between the frame and the backpack. Oh, nice. So you're good to go there. A lot of guys don't want it that close to them. So on say the Kodiak, uh, the caribou and, and those other frames, the the hydration pocket is on the very front of the bag. It's, all the way towards the front. So if it leaks, it doesn't ruin anything, mess up anything inside your bag. It's also not compressed by any of your gear that's inside. So easy in, easy out and you're good to go.
1: Heck yeah. I mean, that's a big deal for me. And then to hear that it's in the, in the load carrier, um, you know, there's a couple areas I hunt and water is beyond scarce. So it's always yep. about filling the, you know, my three liter bladder up and then how much more water could I stuff in here? Um, man, that would make it e- a lot easier to have a couple bladders, you know, and just pull the tube and, you know, boom, quick quick disconnect on the tube, maybe mid-shoulder or something, and go from one to the other. That's yeah, that's a hell of a feature.
2: Yeah, and, and if we're packing in, the, all of our bags, except for the row, which is a small day pack, or the Impala, they, uh, they all will pull away from the frame, so you can store material, anything in between it. So if you get down, you can put the meat in between the frame and the bag and strap the bag back over it. I usually will put one water bladder in the pocket and then one under the meat carrier itself and then strap my bag over it. So I usually have another extra six liters of water there plus what's inside the hydration bladder
0: in the bag. Yeah. Yeah, water's water's heavy. So...
2: It's stopping to find it sometimes is not always an option
1: yeah i uh the area that i hunted last year and i'm planning i have a week until opener here um it was 116 degrees and uh the water was so scarce man i mean it was a trickle and it there was no amount of of iodine tablets no amount of filtration that would make me drink that water. It was bad, man. Everything in the area was there. I mean, it was just track heavy. Um, there's pigs in the area. There's deer. Cats like crazy. Um, it's, I mean, it stank. It stank getting down to that water, even though it was, you know, just a little spring. Um, right. It was nasty. So it was like, man, I'm, you know, jamming in now jeans, and I had a my three liter and then a couple of two liters in there. I mean, what is water? Eight. Eight pounds a gallon, something like that. Yeah, pretty much. But the pain in the butt, like I said, was okay, I'm done with this bladder. Now I gotta reach in here, pull this out, you know, put one in or fill the now or fill that liter or three liter up with the Nalgene. Um yeah, it was a pain in the butt. So that's yeah, that is a good idea. Good design on that, man.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh oh I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're good. So what, uh, what did we miss anything we missed? Um, what's the, well, outlook. So what's the outlook, man, you got all these offerings, you guys are, you know, tweaking some stuff. Um, it sounds like what, uh, what's the outlook. Do you have any plans to release any packs coming up here soon or.
2: Uh, well, we just released the Ibex the first of this month. We just had our new Rhino duffel. That's uh, kind of a storage gear bag for you to carry extra stuff in your truck. It's got seven internal pockets and one big main compartment on the inside, plus some hidden stuff, but also turns into a backpack. So if you're, I, I use it to travel. So run through an airport, it's easier to carry it as a backpack than a duffel bag. That's a new thing. Um, we are working on a vinyl harness. And I am actually designing and, and prototyping some uh, floorless shelters at the moment. So yeah materials we're working through to see which ones we like the best and what's the most durable uh for the weight and we'll see how they work
1: so one of the things that uh that i try and hit on in every episode is conservation just a little one to two minute spiel man about uh about conservation it's not to put you on the spot it's just to get your get your look on it right it opens my eyes when i hear all these answers so you know 30 seconds or one minute or two, you know, give me your spill on conservation.
2: Um, it, it seems like we're starting to pick it back up for a long time back in the day. It was, it was a heavy, uh, used topic. It seemed to die off for a while. And thanks to some of the, you know, hunt, you know, BHA and Oregon Hunter Association, some of the other organizations out there, it's really starting to pick back up um, around here where I'm at. We have a couple local groups that, uh, have been starting some uh, river cleanups and, and some dive issues where they were actually hiring some scuba guy, scuba divers to go through parts of the river to clean up garbage, to help get it out of there. Um, it, it's important. Without conservation, we don't have an industry to go off of. So, you know, without it, everything that we, you know, we love to do in the outdoors will eventually go away. So that's uh. The short and sweet of it, I guess.
1: So anything in closing, anything we missed, any uh anything you want to get out there? How can folks get a hold of you? Plug uh plug the heck out of Wilderness Pack?
2: Yeah, we're uh you know, I've got phone calls all the time. Uh air code five oh three seven one six eight three two eight. Uh that that's our shop's open from six a.m. to two thirty in the afternoon. Uh Kind of special hunting hours, hopefully, because I can get out of there early and go on. <laughs> um, to leave us a message and I'll get right back to you. Um, if you need something on the weekends, you can easily email me. It's just joe at wildernesspacks, with, uh, dot com. Uh, I check my, my emails all every day. So get back to you guys as soon as possible. Um, any questions? It doesn't matter. Big, small, just call us. Love talking to people. We have people come into our theater shop fitting people, set them up with frames to make sure, you know, they're fitted properly. They have the proper frame to the torso size. Um, our Cornelius factory we that I'm usually at, we have sandbags that we can load you up. We have 120 pounds of lead and sand sitting there. We'll set the frame to your size and let you tell us how much weight you want on it. You'll be able to put it on. I'll let you walk all over our complex as long as you want to see if it's, it's something you like. Um, Generally, people are pretty surprised how how well they feel. So, uh, the yeah. one,
1: and the one thing I'm going to just throw out there, uh, guys shouldn't be waiting until archery season, right? Which, you know, archery elk for you guys is uh, end of August there to yeah. be getting a pack. They yeah. need to be getting those yeah. packs now and doing a little testing and running those packs, putting some weight on them, get them fit right. Um, that's one thing that drives me crazy, man, is it, it's sort of like, you know, right before season guys are, you go the range and it's packed it's a week before season and they're just starting to tune those broadheads. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the, the biggest thing I see is you'll get the guys that buy the, the backpack the day before season, they'll come back season and say, everything's all loose. Well, yeah. I mean, webbing is going to stretch. You have, you have no option on that one. It will stretch. It's guaranteed. So all of our harness systems are adjustable so you can tighten them. So that's the best thing. You buy the pack a little early, throw weight in it, carry it around, get everything, you know, finagled out how you want to. And then just give them a little tug, tighten everything up when you're good to go. You won't have any issues for the rest of the time. You're out there. Once they're stretched, they're stretched. But it's that first time people gotta remember to tighten them back up. Yeah.
1: Don't don't wait till season to figure that out. Yep. Well, good deal, Joe. <laughs> I uh I appreciate the time, man. It was good, uh, good talking to you. Learning about uh, wilderness packs here, man.
0: Thanks.
1: Yeah, when my boy gets in, we're gonna be uh, looking at that uh, that website there and letting him make a decision. I'll probably have him listen to it, and yeah, he's gotta gotta yeah. get invested in this.
2: Yeah, bring him on down. We'll 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 put him to work. You know, throw some weight on him. Have mic around. Got some stairs. Yeah, And that's
1: a plus too, right? Is, is the ability and that's, and I said, we're closing, but that's one of the things that I'm reluctant to spend money on something that I cannot test drive, right? It's like going and buying a vehicle. When you start talking about a backpack, in my opinion, if I cannot test drive it, it, and the money that folks are asking it, it. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. So the, you know, for you guys to be available like that, man, that says a lot about, uh, in my head, it says a lot about what you think of your packs and their capabilities.
0: We get, we get a lot of people uh, that are reluctant
2: to it, especially at the sportsman shows, but we tell them that uh, all, all packs are comfortable when they're empty. So you're never going to know how it will really feel in the field unless you fill it up. And it's easier, and it's you know easier for us. It's better for them to do it beforehand, so we can get it adjusted, make sure it's fit properly to them, so the weight's settled properly, and they can see how it really feels.
1: Yeah, because at, at mile five, six, seven, if guys are going, I mean, even if you're doing three miles, when you pack out, it's it's six, you know. And if you're doing multiple, that is the worst time to figure out that uh, your pack isn't fitting you right or it doesn't carry yeah. the load like you thought it was gonna
2: yeah that's so yeah we're just time to figure
1: it out well good deal man again i appreciate your time thank you uh for sharing this with us and uh yeah we'll be talking to you man
0: cool man appreciate it thanks for having me on
1: thank you you can catch up with wilderness packs on instagram at wilderness packs to check out their full product line head over to wildernesspacks.net